And that is what brand messaging is all about. It's really taking you know the bits and pieces of the customer, the company, the purpose, the story behind the company, all those aspects, and then composing it in what is necessary today is like a seven second pitch. The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. I'm Alicia Esposito, Senior Content Strategist for Demand Gen Report, and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Jeffrey Shaw, who's an author, podcast host, consultant, and a speaker at this year's BWMX in Scottsdale. We talked about possibly everything we could talk about in 30 minutes. I'm pretty impressed how we did it all. But we, we talked about the evolution of his career, what he's heard in his conversations with marketing and sales professionals, the struggles that they're facing every day, their goals, and um, why speaking your audience's lingo is so important, what it really means, and how to do it in your day-to-day. It was a great conversation, and I think everyone in B2B will get some value out of it. Hope you enjoy it. Jeffrey, thanks so much for chatting with me today. I'm thrilled to be here with you, Alicia. Thank you. So before we get into the heart of the conversation today, um, I do want to take a step back and talk a little bit about you. Um, You've gone through quite a professional transition, going from a photographer who's, you know, behind the scenes to a certain extent, to an author and speaker and consultant very much in front front and center. So I, I have to ask, Number one, how did you get here? And number two, what inspired you to make such a move? So it's always the, the most common question I'm asked. Um, totally appreciate it. But it's it's funny to me because, of course, when we live our lives, it's just you were just trucking along doing these things and these transitions happen. But without a doubt, everyone is always curious, like, how did you go from being a photographer to speaker and what you do? I think the easiest way to answer it first is to, to kind of look at what's in common, because to me, this is why it's not odd to me, because there's such similarities in what I do. And I think a lot of creative thinking people are faced with the challenge of you know, we've likely been told to sit still and focus, and yet we have a lot of interest. The key is whether you can find what's common, right? What's the common thread? And for me, the common thread in everything I've ever done over the 35 years of entrepreneurship is that, you know, I observe people, I see people, I capture their essence, I put it on display for other people to connect with. So as a photographer, you know, I, I got to know my subjects. I, my role was to capture their essence and make it real and authentic and put that on display as a portrait. And that portrait created a connection to their viewers, their family, friends, et cetera. And as a brand message consultant, I'm actually doing the exact same thing. I dive in deep with the companies I work with, get a sense and essence of their ideal customers. And I stress the point, ideal customers. And then I capture that essence by creating a brand messaging that's put on display. And in doing so, it gets put out into the world and captures more ideal customers. So to me, it's the exact same work. Now, in a logical sense, how this happened was, I was very successful as a photographer. Uh, I started out as 20 years old. And uh, by my late 20s, I had a very successful photography business that was unique. So I, I'm a family portrait photographer for very affluent families. So it was really specific and unique. And because of that, the industry started coming to me, asking me to teach and to speak. And in doing that, so now I'm on stages all over in the photo industry, but then hotel managers and you know staff in the room and event planners were coming up to me and saying, you know, everything you're speaking about has nothing to do with photography. It's much broader than that. Will you come speak to my company? 
Next thing I know, I'm speaking on other stages. So it actually did kind of transition on its own. And I've been pulling back the levers for years now, about seven years. I've been pulling back the lever on my photography. I do very little now. And moving forward in being my, you know, the brand message consultant and the author of my first book, my second book will be, uh, I'll be writing it this year. It'll be out next year. So yeah, there you go. It's, it was, it seems crazy, but it actually just happened in a natural organic form and it makes sense to me. <laughs> no, it, it definitely, now that you broke it down, the transition does, it seems very authentic and, and natural. And it's just fascinating to see how that progression took place. And what really resonates with me, you know, in our past conversations, and of course, just knowing your work, um, is you kind of take the principles of photography, knowing knowing your subjects, you know, kind of building those relationships, making fe- people feel important or seen. You kind of apply that to the mm-hmm. principles that you teach to businesses, which connects to that concept of lingo, which is obviously the, the focal point of your book. So um, makes sense for us to dig into, you know, what inspired you to get into the heart of this concept or framework and and really what it's all about. So, and I tell you, this is an area of growth for myself and I think for a lot of entrepreneurs that, and I, I coach a lot of, uh, I do some coaching individually and I tend to coach people that are transitioning from corporate to entrepreneurship often. And what, what I find, and I, it's true of myself too, sometimes we shut the door in our past, right? We, we think we're done with something, but the key is how can you allow your past experience to inform the new thing you're doing? And I have continued to have to work towards that. And I think I'm really hitting a sweet spot because I wasn't initially as a speaker and a brand message consultant, I wasn't leveraging who I was as a photographer until it was pointed out to me. And I realized the role of being a photographer just strengthened certain muscles for me that can really help me help companies with their brand messaging. So for example, as a photographer, and I photographed by way, by the way, entirely on location. So I would be dumped any place in the world to a location I had never been, and often with people I'd never met. And somehow in minutes, I have to create a beautiful, compose a beautiful portrait. So I've realized after doing that for so many decades that my brain naturally curates chaos. Right. So I'm just really good at taking a lot of pieces and making something whole. And that is what brand messaging is all about. It's really taking you know the bits and pieces of the customer, the company, the purpose, the story behind the company, all those aspects, and then composing it in what is necessary today is like a seven-second pitch, right? The brand message has to be so concise, it has to say a lot with very few words. So what I've learned to do is, and in my in my talks, uh, as I will at you know your event, I I, I will incorporate a lot of photography into it because it also captivates the audience because it's out of the ordinary. And it differentiates me as a speaker as well. Um, but yeah, there's the lessons of the power of, you know, curating chaos and bringing things together. Also the power of seeing people, you know, I mean, as a photographer through the lens and somehow, somehow when I'm behind my camera, looking through the lens, people don't realize I can still see them. It's always been a funny thing to me. <laughs> um, but you, that's when you really get people's essence, right? And that's what you want to capture. So a lot, that's why I refer to it as seeing people. I, I've done, I did a video um, for social media, which I called something like how seeing people is better than serving them. I think a lot of businesses put all their effort towards serving their customers. And while that's all well and good, it's not enough of a differentiator today because serving customers, good service is easily replicable. 
any business can up their game and serve better. Businesses that understand how to make their customers feel seen will be few and far between, and those will be the businesses that stand out. So it actually has a lot to do with, with the, to me, the, the power that I've learned from being a photographer into what I do today. I love that. It seems like there's something deeper there. So, so to your point, this notion of service is sometimes it's being proactive, sometimes it's being reactive, and it's more surface level stuff. It's like, you know, oh, you have an immediate issue or a need, and I'm here to serve you. So it seems like, um, you know, with the proper training and strategy, anyone can kind of do that. So what is required, I guess, like looking at it through the lens of B2B, so marketing and sales professionals, what is required to get to that level of really seeing and understanding on that much deeper level that I think everyone is coming to expect in all areas of their life. And that's exactly it. I think that to me, you know, having been in business for 35 years, that's the biggest difference. And you asked earlier about uh, kind of the motivation behind my book, Lingo. And I'll tell the story really quick because it's so crazy. But I was on another business podcast and the host asked me what I thought, this is a business podcast, mind you, and the host asked what I thought the future of human evolution was. Like crazy question. Like I'm not even qualified to answer that. But what shocked me even more was how quickly I had an answer. (laughs) And my observation in business was how I thought people were evolving. This is going back a number of years ago, was towards what I referred to as nonverbal communication. And what I meant was not that people were going to talk less. In fact, we were entering into a world where people are talking more and louder. Um, And therefore, what what the world needs is the opposite of that. So what we need more of are businesses that create an energetic connection to their customers, that their customers feel like they're speaking to them, speaking their lingo. The marketing effort, I'd say for the past five years or so, we've gone through so many iterations. Um, The last five years ago, I would say the goal has been to stand out, right? And we businesses have been standing out by trying to find their unique proposition, how they're different, maybe dyeing their hair purple, whatever. People have been trying to stand out by being so different or louder or more annoying (laughs) or just more frequent, right? But that's not good enough anymore because it's a waste of time. The result of that, which is the problem I solve for businesses, the result of that is that you end up standing out to too many people. And then you waste a tremendous amount of time trying to satisfy people that will never be satisfied because they were never aligned with your company in the first place. So my strategy, what I often refer to as busting up the Pareto principle, is the 80-20 rule doesn't work today. We can't afford as businesses to get 80% of our income from 20% of our customers. We need almost all, it's so hard to stand out and to be noticed that it's more practical and efficient to stand out to the audience of our ideal customers. So that you have a higher conversion rate of maybe 90% of the customers that you're drawing in through your brand messaging and brand image are pre-qualified, if you will, because they already are aligned with the values of your company and you have a much higher rate of conversion. I tell business owners all the time, imagine how much easier it is for your sales team if the marketing team puts the right people in front of them in the first place. In fact, I even challenged one company to change their team from being called the sales team to being the closing team. Let's make the assumption that the marketing and brand messaging is so strong that we get the right people, that the role of the team is now to onboard ideal customers. So that's, that's to me that when I say, when I mentioned earlier about nonverbal communication, that ironically is what lingo actually is to, to really speak 
someone's lingo is to tap into their emotions so that they energetically feel like you're speaking their language, but it's it's not a jargon. Lingo is that that inner that inner hook, if you will, and that's what it really means to speak someone's lingo. Got it. And, and I think that ties really nicely to my next question for you. I mean, as a marketer, you know, my whole focus, my goal is to create content, insight, resources that that spark that you know, connection that that drive that interest and and also resonate in a way that is far more meaningful than everyone else. And, you know, obviously every other marketer wants to do the same. And we've been hearing a lot about, you know, curb the sales message, be more buyer focused. And, and this has been an ongoing narrative for, I want to say, going on 10 years now, right? It's just the standard. So I feel like there's still always this, this disconnect, right? We're saying it, we're saying, we're saying it, but it's when it comes time to pull the trigger and actually do it, that seems to be a problem or some companies have trouble actually going over the finish line and, and executing upon it. Is that because there are still these internal factors that are preventing them for for speaking their audience's lingo? Or is it just because it's still, it's evolving and changing so much and so frequently that we're just playing this constant game of catch up and, and we're just trying to constantly improve upon and reiterate upon what we're doing? Yeah, I, I think you're right on all fronts. And that's, that's, that is the reason. So, you know, you mentioned a few moments ago about kind of being surface level. So, here's what's kind of happened, right? We've got the speed of business and change has increased exponentially. We have the bigger challenges and that, you know, there's a lot more noise and we're no longer, and when I say noise, I don't just mean in volume. I mean, I think one of the things that's created the most amount of noise for businesses is that we're no longer compared to apples to apples, right? How quick your delivery time is as compared to Amazon's delivery time. Whether you offer free shipping is compared to because Amazon offers free shipping. Like we're not even compared apples to apples anymore. And that's created noise in that we're not compared just with our own industry anymore. So the speed, think about the contradictory elements here. We have, we have a world which has created more transparency or I should say social media has created a lot more transparency in a world that has become more skeptical because there's been a lot of negativity. And so you've got con skeptical consumers, you've got uh, transparent social media, which is putting everything out there. So you've got, and you've got more noise. So you've got that collision going on at the same time that people want to feel like the businesses they choose to do business with know them better. So businesses are running rapidly to keep up with the speed at which things are changing while customers are demanding you know them more very polar opposites. So what happens is, to the point you mentioned before about things being surface level, a lot of businesses, they kind of have a checklist mentality, like buyer persona and avatar, check, right? Um, they go as far as they, they seem to be capable of doing, but there's a lot more. I look at lingo actually as the evolution of buyer personas and avatars, which have served a great function and are a part of the process. But what more can you know about them, right? It's more than just knowing, you know, as I said, buyer, to me as a photographer, buyer personas and avatars are a snapshot where to really know your ideal customer is the portrait. And people are looking to feel like you know them to that depth. 
So that I think has created a lot of why we keep talking about it for 10 years is because, man, we're doing our best. Be, be the B2B world, all of us in business, we're doing our best to keep up with the rapid pace. If we could buy ourselves anything, it would be, can we slow down or can we bring on more people who can do that more in-depth work and understand the emotional triggers, the values, the true lifestyle. Um, I think, you know, we were talking a moment ago about serving people and what it really means to me to blow people away and to really serve people and make them feel, feel seen is to know what they need that they don't know to ask for. If you provide what people know to ask for, you're meeting their expectations. But to really blow them away, and I think most businesses actually know what their customers need better than they do. That's what makes you an expert in your field or in your industry. So why not explode that even bigger and go beyond what your customers are asking for? And this is, it's, it's more than just extra delivery. It's actually in suggestion and in, in letting people know you know what they need better than they know what they need. That to me is really speaking someone's lingo because you're, you're, speak, you're, you're addressing what they don't even know to ask for. And I, and I want to dig a little bit deeper into how to paint that more detailed portrait. I mean, you touched on social media. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of noise out there, um, a lot of content being shared, um, not just, you know, actual actual content, but, you know, feedback, sentiment. But there's also this notion of what people put out there on social media is that equivalent to or a mirror image of who they really are, plus all these other technologies, right, that are allowing us to get all these data inputs that could help paint this detailed picture. But I have to ask, do you think these different channels, these, these different avenues of, of technology and data, are they supporting this this ability to truly, you know, understand your audience, you know, to speak their lingo, you know, serve them on that deeper level? Or is, is this kind of preventing people from getting to the real heart of who their audience is, like when it comes to, say, just getting on the phone with them or having a actual conversation? I guess it's the the new versus old. I mean, there, there, there may not be a definitive answer, but wondering if you have a particular opinion on, um, you know, the impact of tech in, in that perspective. Yeah, I actually love this question because I think we're sitting at a point of, of – of really seeing where this goes. You know, and I said, I, as a photographer, I'm an observer. So I'm observing this carefully. And the question I like to pose to businesses, because ultimately I think it now lies in the hand of what businesses are going to do with AI and technology. And I think the question I like to pose is, are you going to use technology to make your customers feel like one in a million or one of a million? And I think that's the business, that's the, that's the decision businesses can make because I think we have amazing tools that can actually, even if we know, and this has actually been, I think there's been some research that supports this, that as a consumer, even if we know that we're being, if we're chatting with a robot, actually, you're better off disclosing that, you know, but if we know that, it's okay if it's accurate and efficient. We're okay with that. And if it feels like a personal experience, if it's addressing our personal individual concern, if that same technology is used in a way that it's a ridiculous answer, you know, that... I don't, I'm always hesitant to bring this up, but you know, the, the controversy over the recent Peloton bicycle ad, you know, you could look at it on so many different sides, the whole controversy about that Peloton ad. Some people thought it was ridiculous. Other people felt like, well, what's the big deal? It's, you know, it's, 
It's a woman who wants to get more fit, even if she's already a size one. And, but that's what some people found offensive. And at the end of the day, here's what I think the issue was with that commercial. And I immediately, when I saw it, felt there was an issue with that commercial. And I couldn't put my hands on it immediately. But at the end of the day, when I looked at it, it's like, you know what? It was faked authenticity. The expressions on the actress's face, not that it was her fault, it was the way she was directed, the fake authenticity that her that it was a big deal for her. Like, I mean, she was already a really fit woman and it just had, it had, it just screamed fake authenticity. And that I think is what the decision is, what we'll have to make with, with technology. I think we as consumers, and I think the world will be okay with technology. It just depends on whether the technology feels like it's authentically serving us as individuals, because if it doesn't, then we're going to feel like, okay, this is just a business where I feel like I'm one of a million. And, you know, to make it even more personal, I think businesses, you know, with, um, you know, hey, even look at something as simple as email blasts, you know, it, it's more than just merging in the name and making it feel personalized, but how can you up the game? And actually, I think, and this is something we're working on in our own business, like every email list, every database needs to be divided by personality traits so that, and you can't, you can't send out thousands of emails to each person with a different personality, but there are segments, right? So maybe it could be broken up into seven to 10 lingo styles for that audience. And you actually send out seven or 10 versions of every email blast that buckets your, your database to feel like that segment is speaking, that you're speaking their lingo. Right. So that to me is step one. Like that is not hard to do. We can do that today. Um, but I'm very, like you, I'm very curious to see what the result is. I, my hope is, and this is certainly the work that I'm doing, uh, is, is trying to encourage businesses to leverage the advantages of technology to make our businesses scalable and yet do it in a way that the end result is customers actually feel a deeper connection. And even if it is with technology, but to feel like you are actually speaking to them as individuals. Love that. And I love that you you brought up the Peloton example because everyone's talking about that. Everyone's trying to get to the heart of like, what, what triggered this type of response? And most of all, how can we we learn and avoid <laughs> that type of response um, in our own initiatives? And I, I love that you talked about the activities and the exercises that you're doing internally as an entrepreneur, a, as you grow your business, um, you know, around speaking uh, your audience's lingo and, and breaking down those segments. But I mean, what else, what else? do you try to do? Do you try to apply in your day-to-day life? Because you do have so many different avenues of your business, whether it's, you know, your podcast or your speaking or writing and, and workshops. I mean, there are a lot of different avenues that you leverage and tap into. So how does Lingo apply to what you do on a day-to-day? You know, I think like a lot of businesses, um, you know, I've got multiple audiences that I work with. I do multiple things, which I know can contradict the notion of having a niche. And I still believe in that. But here's, I just think we need to redefine niche. I think we used to think of having a niche as doing one thing to one audience. And what I look at it now is, and I think it's more important for a, a company or even an individual to kind of own their niche. Because if you own what you're best at, so I see the niche as your core brand message, right? What do you, what is your core thing for which everything else you do and other people that you serve are sort of like mediums of choice. Like I said, right in the beginning, I actually feel like I'm doing very much the same thing. My tool used to be a camera. 
My tool now is consulting as a brand message consultant. So I feel like I'm doing the same thing in a lot of ways. So that's why if, as long as I get that, I can say the right thing to the right people so that they get that. Um, cause I do a variety of different things and there are some, there are nuances in the audience. Um, but for me, because it feels similar. So in, in some cases I'm working with companies. I mean, one place I waver, Alicia, I'll, I'll tell you is sometimes I wonder, am I an advocate for consumers or am I a consultant to the businesses that I work with? And at the end of the day, I think in a lot of ways, I'm an advocate for consumers because if I really tap into what I most want in the world is to create a world where consumers and businesses get each other and every day is a beautiful experience in the business world. Uh, it sounds lofty, and but that's really my goal. Like, say, hey, we can be having a great day and you suddenly interact with a business that ticks you off and you it just ruin your whole day. So I think at the end of the day, I'm more of an advocate for customers. But what I know is that if I help the businesses that I work with, if I help them get better brand messaging to connect with their ideal customers, I've played my role as an advocate for the consumers, but the businesses benefiting with working with more ideal customers. So it's, it is truly a win-win. So I just, you know, to me, how I apply lingo, first of all, of course, I always have to stay on top of my own brand messaging. I'm always on a quest, particularly because of technology, to figure out how I can make people feel more individualized. And, you know, it's always, a to me, brand messaging is in the path of clarity is always editing down. I was even on my website today, taking some copy out. <laughs> it's just always editing down so that it keeps pace with the speed at which people are evaluating and coming to know what you do, which is ever increasing. So that's why I think brand messaging, even as a a role as a brand brand message consultant is is kind of a new role. But the reason why I think it's so valuable and important is because there's never been a time since my 35 years in business that you've had to say so much in so short a period of time. So that message is so important. Right. And doing so in a way that's adaptable and can evolve over time because at the same time, your your audience and their behaviors are, are constantly changing. So I, lo- I love that you constantly iterate and, and approve upon how, how you're going to market. I think that's really key. Yeah, I actually, and I'll just add to that if I may, that I, I mean, lately I've been speaking a fair amount in the HR industry. Now, Honestly, I mean, I actually laugh about it and I often make a joke about it in my, my speeches because I'm someone, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I've never had a real job and I've never received a paycheck. And here I am speaking in HR. But the reason is, is same idea of transition we were talking before, the companies I was consulting with on branding, brand messaging, they started saying, hey, you know what? I think our recruiting department, HR could really use this because we can't get, we're not, we don't seem to be connecting with today's workforce. Can you help us? And then I wound up helping companies attract their dream employees. And that got me on stages for that. And it, so again, it it is, I love that you said quick and adapt. Like I didn't see that coming. I never planned to be a speaker or in HR or consult companies on recruiting ever. I couldn't imagine it. But what I talk about helps there too. And it's just a change of the nuance, even how you know, in, in marketing and branding, I refer to ideal customers. In HR, I talk about dream employees. It's the same thing. It's just tweaking the lingo. 
And, and to that end, I mean, you are obviously going to be speaking at the B2B Marketing Exchange in Scottsdale, speaking specifically to our sales attendees. And, and we've kind of talked about the nuances with this particular role throughout our conversation, but would love it if you gave our listeners a little bit of a teaser about what's to come and, and how you're going to be digging into a lot of these concepts in more detail. Yeah, and that's and that to me is what's key because I believe people are coming to B2B marketing exchange to walk away with actionable steps. So, you know, I have to cover quickly up front the concept, right? You have to get the buy-in on the concept. But what I will be doing at the conference is delivering a five-step strategy. Right. So it's it is a step by step. This is how you do it. I even say the steps need to be done in order. Um, and it they're steps that will help companies understand the deeper emotional triggers of their ideal customers in a way that they may not have thought of before. So for example, one of those steps, not the first, but one of the steps is the power of familiarity. I mean, I I have found that to be the strongest hook, if you will, in drawing in ideal customers is by creating an environment that's already familiar to them. Whether So to do that, you need to understand what do they already interact with in their world? right? What do the businesses, how do they interact? What's the function? What's the culture that they're used to? And how do you replicate the feeling of that culture in your own marketing and branding so that they feel this overriding sense of familiarity? Because the truth of the matter is on a, on a human level, familiarity is incredibly, it's kind of taps into our subconscious. We can so easily be drawn to what makes us feel comfortable and familiar, and we're just in, and we don't even realize what got us in. And that is a really powerful tool in marketing and branding. So that's just one of the five steps. But that's what I'll be doing at the conferences is, to your point, being doing a much deeper dive with actionable steps that they can apply right away into actually how to take this concept and make it tangible. And hopefully they'll never quite look at, you know, avatars, buyer personas ever the same again. Like, whoa, let me go way beyond this and let's find out a lot more uh, about our ideal customers. And also just the concept of ideal customers, quite honestly. When I uh, I travel the country speaking, I often, I won't ask a large audience, but a smaller audience, I will be able to ask, you know, how many businesses feel they are working exclusively with their ideal customers? And very few feel that it's exclusive. And then when I ask for a ratio, on the average, most businesses feel like 30% of their customers are the most profitable, the easiest to work with, and what they would consider to be ideal customers. 30%, which means they're wasting their time on everybody else. So knowing that, when I can get the buy-in on that, like, okay, well, that's what we're going to fix. What we're going to fix here today, what we're going to fix at my gig at the event is to help businesses stop wasting time on non-ideal customers and create a brand messaging note with the steps that I'll lay out that will help them attract their ideal customers. Love it. We're, we're definitely looking forward to that. But we're at the end of our time together today. But before we go, do you want to do a little bit of a speed round with you? Um, combination of personal and, and professional, if you're up for it. All you have to do is answer as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Awesome. <laughs> so first question, Jeffrey, would you rather have more time or more money? And what would you do with your choice? Mm-hmm. More time to make more money. Uh, <laughs> no, I would definitely say more time, right? Because we talked about things being at the surface level. If I had more, if we all had more time, we could go so much deeper and then that would create a, a faster up curve. More time. Great. Next question. If you could eat 
at one fast food restaurant or just eat one type of food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, well, those are two very different questions. Good, because I'm not, I'm not big on fast food. Oh, man, without a doubt, if I could eat one type of food for the rest of my life, hands down, Indian food. Unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What song best describes your life? Um, I lived by One Republic. Definitely, uh, yeah, it's just to me, that song, I, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I lived One Republic. It's just about taking, what I refer to as just taking this soul on a hell of a journey and just being able to say, I lived. Yep, it's a good it's one. good enough. Great. So what's your social network of choice between Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, even TikTok? What, what's your go-to? Um, I'm on all of them except TikTok, but my, I tell you, I'm really favoring LinkedIn these days. Um, I think it's, I love some of the changes they've made. I think it's just really come alive. It was feeling kind of flat there for a number of years and I'm so excited about some of the changes that have been made. And I think the, the, uh, the feeling of connection and relationship is, is just really terrific while at the same time it not turning into a bunch of riffraff. Let's hope it keeps that, stays that way. But right now I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. Yeah. Fingers crossed and, and agree yeah. on the improvements. Yeah. Um, and finally, what's your, um, what's your top pitch? It can be anything at all. My top pitch. Um, gosh, well, First of all, come over to my website, jeffreyshaw.com. Uh, start a relationship with me. Listen to the podcast. Creative Warriors is the name of the podcast. I, I think that would be the, my top pitch. I'd love to, because that to me builds relationships. I mean, I'm amazed at how intimate many relationships in my life have come, including traveling. Like I was recently in California and a listener, I posted on social media that I'm in California. And that listener said, hey, I'm a really loyal listener to your podcast. Can I meet you? And we wound up having lunch and enjoyed it so much. Two days later, we met again for breakfast. <laughs> so um, I love the relationships that actually get built from uh, being a podcast host. And I look to bring all those relationships uh, and make new ones at uh, B2B Marketing Exchange as well. Great, Jeffrey. Great responses. And, and thanks again so much for uh, taking the time out, for sharing more about your life, your career, and all the things you've learned um, you know, over your, your decades as an entrepreneur and, and as a um, consultant to so many other businesses and executives. Really appreciate you taking the time out today. My pleasure. And I look forward to meeting you and everyone else in person real soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange podcast. To receive future episodes, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you're hungry for more B2B best practices, join us at the 2020 B2B Marketing Exchange, coming to Scottsdale, Arizona from February 24th to 26th. You'll have access to more than 100 sessions focused on content marketing, demand gen, ABM, and so much more. Save 25% on your pass by using discount code B2B pod. That's B2B P-O-D. We hope to see you there.